right. Well, good morning again, everybody. Glad that you're with us this morning as we are launching a brand new series here throughout the month of October and through November called Ghosted. <laughs> and uh, somebody earlier this morning said, well, I get ghosted quite a bit. And it's not that kind of ghosted, right? It's, it's ghosted encountering the Holy Spirit in Acts. And we're kind of playing off of the whole, the old King James used to call it the Holy Ghost. And so we're, we're, we're talking about uh, what it looks like uh, to live and to walk and to experience uh, the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I have to say, the Holy Spirit is sort of the forgotten part of the Trinity, right? It's the one that a lot of times in the North American church, we don't talk that much about, right? We, we just, he makes us a little bit like not feel like we're in control or not like whatever. And so we sort of relegate him, kind of push him off to the side occasionally. We'll say, oh, in the Father, in the name of the Father and Son, the Holy Spirit, right? He's, he's there, but we don't really talk to him and therefore, talk, talk about him, I should say. And therefore, we don't really know that much about him a lot of times. And so we are going to do a whole series. Uh, devoted to the Holy Spirit, and we're going to learn about it as we walk through, do a kind of a quick survey or a quick whirlwind trip through the book of Acts. And, uh, and so let, let's just kind of start out today. I want to get us talking and get us thinking a little bit, but really, uh, I'd like you to turn to a person or two or three around you if you're comfortable, especially if you came with them, if they should be safe right there in your little bubble or whatever, but turn to a few people around you, around you and just share what you think of when you think of the Holy Spirit. Like, what's the first thing that comes to mind or what do you associate with the person of the Holy Spirit, okay? If it's okay to talk in church, so I want you to turn to a person or two or three around you and share your answers. What do you think of? Go. All right, so let's bring it back together. <laughs> oh, there's like fun answers going on over here. I don't know what's happening, but it's good. So let's bring it back together. What do you, I, I know there's more that you can say, but what, share, share a few of your answers. What do you think of when you think of the person and the work of the Holy Spirit? What do you think of? What is it? Conviction? Okay, good. What else? The little voice inside your head. At least one of them, right? <laughs> yeah, okay. What else? Communication? What was that? Fruits of the Spirit, yeah. Power, absolutely. What else? Peace, yeah. What else? Love, yeah. Okay, so here's, here's some of the categories that I thought of earlier. I thought sometimes, and this is maybe just more general in, in terms of association, but like sometimes I think a really powerful worship, right? We'll, we'll be like, man, you could feel the Spirit in worship today, right? We'll say stuff like that. We'll be like, oh yeah, we, we kind of associate with an experience uh, with Him. Sometimes I think we think of it in terms of spiritual gifts, in terms of like tongues or prophecy or teaching or something, something that we can identify and say, oh man, He, the, he, the Holy Spirit, was, he was really at work today. Uh, or yeah, somebody mentioned the fruits of the Spirit kind of stuff, right? I mean, that's love, joy, peace, patience. We kind of think of it. It's even associated with the name, right? Fruit of the Spirit. So we kind of think of the Holy Spirit in that. Sometimes we think of the Holy Spirit in terms of the miraculous. And uh, man, we are going to hit this a lot in the book of Acts because, <laughs> rightly so, right? Because the Holy Spirit does incredible things uh, in the early church through the, you know, the Holy Spirit. And so the, it's sort of just jaw-dropping kind of stuff. But the thing that I found interesting, I've been studying the book of Acts. Uh, it's one of my favorite books, by the way. But as I've been studying the book of Acts, I'm like, you know, what's interesting is the association in the book of Acts with the Holy Spirit isn't any of those things primarily, right? It's not, it's not primarily, uh, you know, great worship or an experience with God. It's not primarily, uh, 
the fruits of the Spirit or uh, spiritual gifts or any of those kinds of the, the primary connection with the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts is the mission of God, which is interesting. And we'll see this back and forth and back and forth on virtually every page of the book of Acts. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about the, the power of the Spirit and the mission of God as they are tied together throughout the book of Acts. If you've got your Bibles today, I'd encourage you to open them to Acts chapter 1. If not, and I I know that uh, many of us are not in the habit of bringing our Bibles, uh, but I would encourage you, especially through this series, bring a paper Bible with you. If you don't have one, you can take one off the back table and take it home with it. You can mark it up. We're going to learn some stuff, so write some notes in there. You can highlight. You can put application. You can circle what you feel like the Holy Spirit's saying to you in, in the pages of this book, but I think it could be just a good uh, practice for us as a church, especially through the series. Like I said, I think God's got lots of great stuff to say. So a quick little um, just kind of background thing. Uh, the, the book of Acts is actually volume two of a two-part book that's written in the New Testament. Does anybody know what volume one is? Thank you. Oh, man, look, gold star next to each of your names. Yes, it's written by Dr. Luke, and it's kind of two halves of the same book. It's Luke, Acts, and so you'll, you, you can identify it uh, Luke begins this way, Acts, we'll see in just a second, begins the same way. It's, it's written to a guy by the name of, anybody know? Theophilus, right? Theophilus. You, you want to know what we know about, uh, with certainty about Theophilus? Almost nothing. <laughs> I mean, we don't really know much. But the book is written to him, Luke, Acts, is written to him so that he can come to know Jesus and that he can learn how to walk in and with, in the fullness of the Spirit and experience, uh, you know, uh, the spirit-filled life with God. And so uh, that's kind of where we're going. We're going to learn uh, from these letters written by Dr. Luke. Again, we're going to start out Acts chapter 1. We're gonna, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip a little bit, but we're going to read most of Acts 1 and 2 today. So lots of scripture. Stick with me. I think there's great stuff in there. We'll, we'll zero in on a few things. Mostly, I want you to look at the big picture of, of Luke, or of Acts, excuse me, chapter 1 and chapter 2. Starts here, verse 1 through 11. He says this, in my former book, Theophilus, right, I, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, meaning right after uh, his death on the cross for our sins, after his burial, he presented himself to them, to his disciples, and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, which is kind of a a, a fancy biblical code word for a a, a season. It literally was 40 days, but it means like a season of transformation, right, kind of thing. Uh, uh, He spoke to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are, are, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Are you going to raise us to power and significance, throw off Rome and all this kind of stuff? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set uh, of his own, by his own authority. Verse 8, this is the theme verse for the entire book of Acts. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. 
They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking up into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Let me just stop and just I want to zero in on verse 8 for just a little bit. Because like I said, this is sort of the summary verse, the theme verse for the entire book of Acts. It's critical to understanding the book and how we are to live. Jesus says in verse 4, he says, wait for the gift my father has promised. And then in verse 8, he says, for you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. The, word for the, the, word, the Greek word for power is dynamis, right? Which, what does that sound like? dynamite right it's, it's meant power big massive kind of power dynamite we think of in a negative term it's where we get the word for but in terms of destructive power this is precisely the opposite right but he's saying there is unbelievable amounts of power in fact the same word is translated i don't know seven eight nine times uh, in the new testament as miracle it's that kind of power like it's it's amazing like unexplainable god only kind of power that is available to us. He's, and he says to his followers, he says, wait for the gift of the Spirit. I'm going to send the Spirit to you. And when he comes, he will come with power, with dynamis. The power to do more than is humanly possible. One of the things that's interesting is this word, uh, if, if we go to that next slide, it, the, the promise that Jesus makes in Acts 1.8, you'll receive power when the Spirit comes on you. It actually implies four different kinds of power. It implies intellectual power. Uh, it, it, the Greek word implies intellectual keenness, sharpness of mind, what theologians refer to as the illumination of the Holy Spirit. I can remember, for instance, I can remember my freshman year in college, early part of the year, I can remember I'd been sent to school with a Bible. I'd never really read it before, but I opened it up and I started reading it, and to be honest, and it was the easiest translation there is. I can remember reading the words, and it was like nothing clicked for me. It was like, it was like, beep, right? like I had nothing. I'm, I'm reading, and I closed it, and I put it away because I had some friends that were talking to me about Jesus. I tried to read it. I was like, I don't, I don't get it. It just wasn't clicking. Fast forward literally one month, I had opened up my heart and life to Christ. The Holy Spirit had come flooding into my life. Every time from that moment forward, every time I opened the book, I felt like the living God was speaking to me, right? It's the illumination of the Holy Spirit. It's intellectual power that the Holy Spirit brings into our lives. Second, he says spiritual power, power to do what Jesus did and to, to say what Jesus said, right? That kind of stuff. Emotional power. Learning uh, power to thrive in the midst of all kinds of difficulties and challenges and even physical power to accomplish God's work. Power to continue on, to persevere, to endure, and to, to kind of keep pushing forward and following where the Holy Spirit leads and doing what the Holy Spirit tells us to do. Isn't that interesting? It's a, it's a picture of fullness of power. It's not, sometimes we think of just one of those. Oh, well, this is power, but it's only in the spiritual, it's only spiritual power. You know, for emotional stuff, we have to go to a counselor. I'm not bashing counselors. Uh, you know, if, for a physical stuff, I have to go to the doctor, not bashing doctors, right? I mean, but we, we kind of compartmentalize and say, well, he, yes, there's power, but it's only for this and the, pic, the word that's used is much more holistic, right? God says there's power you can't imagine. There's power, dynamis kind of power, spiritual power, intellectual power, emotional power, physical power that comes on you and fills you when the Holy Spirit comes. You will receive incredible power 
when my spirit comes on you, God says, and you will be my witnesses. The image that I kept getting this week as I was thinking about this power and thinking about our experience of the Holy Spirit, in, in, uh, especially in North America, I kept thinking of this. <laughs> it's a AAA battery, right? You can stick it to your, it doesn't really have much power. But like this is, I, I just kept thinking, man, I, I feel like we open up the book of Acts, especially this part, we, and we, th- when we think of it for ourselves, we think, oh yeah, we'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on us. Oh, we be- do we believe that? We believe it, but this is what our experience of the Holy Spirit is. We're like, oh yeah, we get this little bitty, it's such, a, it's such a cute little faith, right? It's such a cute little experience that the Holy Spirit is so nice, and it makes me feel comfortable and peaceful. Sometimes I can, I can feel his stirring in worship, and it's marvelous. And Meanwhile, what God is offering us, dynamis. I kept thinking, like, it's a picture almost of, like, if they would have had atomic energy in, in, the, in the first century. I keep wondering if they wouldn't have used a more, like, atomic sort of word, right? Like, a huge, massive amounts of energy, like nuclear power kind of stuff. When Tina and I were first married, we lived literally one mile exactly from a nuclear power plant outside of Byron, Illinois. I mean, when, when the sun would start going down, we would get the shadow of the two cooling towers would overshadow our house. Even as you're driving up to our house, we have this little two-bedroom, like, like, I mean, four-room kind of, I guess it was two-bedroom technically, but a tiny little 1940s house that we were renting out in the country. And, and like, it was, looked like this little tiny thing with this massive tower in the background. In fact, people would come over and they'd be like, wow, nice nuclear power plant <laughs> you got there. They had, they had like evacuation plans they have to for, for everywhere that they have uh, nuclear power facilities. And we were uh, in, in the one mile range that we were from it. We weren't included in the, in the, in the evacuation plan. I think they figured, you know, if, if you're there when the thing melts down, <laughs> go with God. I mean, you know, it's, it's like <laughs> they're just like, you got no hope, man. It's over. We had little kids would come over. We had some friends that had kids that would come over. And they would just, you know, their jaws are on the ground as they're looking up at this massive nuclear power plant. And uh, they used to call it the cloud factory. Isn't that cute? I love that. Because <laughs> the big towers are like pumping out. Uh, it looks like clouds. But, but these nuclear power plants gave power to millions of people throughout most of north central Illinois, even into the western suburbs of Chicago. They all got their power for lights and cooking and, right, I mean, furnaces. And all, that all came from this one nuclear power plant. And I kept thinking this week, like, man, that's, it's more like that's what God is saying. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, there's power like that. Not like this, right? I mean, we were like, okay, you know, God, what if God has so much more in store than what we've experienced or the, than what we've considered? What if when he says that there's power and there's physical and emotional and spirit, what, intellectual even, what if there's power beyond what we have experienced? What if the same power that we are going to read as we walk through the book of Acts, what if the Holy Spirit is still the Holy Spirit? What if that kind of power is literally available to us and we're just not experiencing it because, because we're com- we've been comfortable doing the, like, live the good little life and do the church thing occasionally and then just mostly just live lives on our own? What if there's more? You will receive power, dynamis, when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. 
even just a few verses <laughs> before, I mean, the, the, again, the picture that's been getting painted, it's not of us just experiencing a little bit of the Holy Spirit. He says, you know, he says, you know John baptized with water, but in, in a few days he says, I'm going to baptize you. I'm going to immerse you in the Holy Spirit. I'm going to surround you. I'm going to fill you. I'm going to consume you with my spirit. And you'll receive power and you'll be my witnesses he says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. By the way, that little, that little ding is for every time I'm saying something that God wants you especially to hear, he's going he's gonna to cause that to ding. There's going to be a little, little light bulb that goes on. <laughs> ding. So that's a good sound. <laughs> anyway, he says, you'll be my witnesses. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem where they were, in Judea, which is their region, right? In Samaria, which are people that, that were kind of outside their clan, <laughs> Which, man, that's interesting. You'll be my witnesses there, too. You mean to Republicans? <gasps> you mean to Democrats? <gasps> right, people that are different from you. People that are blue-collar, white-collar, different skin color, whatever. You'll be my witnesses out there, too, to Samaria and to the end of the earth. You'll, you'll receive power, and you'll be my witnesses. It's the entire book of Acts right there in one verse. We'll see it on, in every single chapter of the book. We'll receive power from the Spirit, and we're sent out to be witnesses. It's so urgent. I love the, the way that, that whole section ends, right? It's so urgent to them that even the disciples, as they're, they're, they're supposed to be waiting, but even as they're sitting there uh, looking up into the sky, it's so urgent that God sends a messenger, an angel to them, and says, what are you doing? They're, they're staring into the sky. Don't you know that in the same way that he went, he's coming back? So go and pray and ready yourselves to be filled with power from on high and then be ready to go uh, because it's that urgent. There's this next section that we're going to skip over, <laughs> but I will tell you, just parenthetically, I think it's, I, I found myself chuckling about it this week. The, the next section in scripture goes through and talks about the, the early church had their underwear in a bunch because the 12th disciple, Judas, right? Judas had obviously gone off the deep end, and they're like, you know what? We can't have 11 disciples. We have to have 12. 12 such a nice number, and it's like nice with pictures, and like, no, I mean, all this, like, we have to have 12 disciples. And they were so dogmatic, so focused on that, that they decided to do it. Right? I mean, and so they, they cast lots. They have their own little election thing. They cast lots. They roll some dice kind of and say, okay, which one do you want, God? Boom. And, it, and the, the, uh, the dice fall to Matthias. And, and it, was such a, it was so significant that they replaced him that he's never mentioned again in the rest of the New Testament. <laughs> right? Not once is he mentioned in the whole rest of the Bible from that point forward. And I just think it's interesting. Uh, I just was, was laughing because I think and this is a little bit um, hypothetical. Uh, this is a little bit, I should say, my perspective. Um, but I think it's, I don't know, I think it's pretty, pretty dead on. I think God had a choice for the 12th disciple too. And his choice, we're going to read about the entire second half of the book of Acts. Right? It's, it's somebody by the name of Saul who Jesus appears to directly. Uh, and he becomes the apostle Paul who is, the one, I mean, the one we read about most filled with power from on high, right, sent out to be a witness, especially to the Gentiles. And, and as a result, thousands and thousands, eventually millions and billions of people come to faith in Christ through this 12th disciple. But I just was thinking about it this week and thinking, man, so... It just there's something I like about it because I'm like, how much is that like us? Like, how often do we get our underwear in a bunch, right? And we're feeling all we're all powered up and we're all bothered by stuff that's going on, and and we try to take 
take actions into our own hands, and we're like, we're going to work this out. We've got to have a 12th disciple. We've got we've to provide for ourselves this way. We've got to do these things. We've got to, right, all this kind of stuff. And we get ourselves all worked up, and we take action. <laughs> all the while, God's like, I got this. <laughs> right? I got this. You, all you need to do is, is, is wait on me and trust in me, and I will show you. I can do more than you can ever possibly ask or imagine. All right, so that's my little, uh, my little tangent there. But we're going to skip over that. You can read it in your own time. Uh, and we're going to jump to Acts chapter 2. This is, um, yeah, this is where stuff really starts heating up, get, gets good. So Acts chapter 2 starts this and says, So when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. So let me just pause uh, Pentecost. Pentecost was a celebration in that day. I mean, we think of Pentecost, Holy Spirit, but that's not what they thought of in that day. Pentecost was an actual celebration that happened 50 days after the Passover in the life of Israel, where people from all over the region, God-fearing Jews from all around the world, would gather together in Jerusalem. In fact, there were uh, at least, scholars think, at least 100,000, maybe more, that would come into Jerusalem for this festival. And the whole thing about Passover, this is, I thought this is great, is Passover was a time to celebrate and anticipate the harvest that was to come, right? So it's, it's a time when they come together and celebrate. The harvest hasn't happened yet, but it's coming up, and so they celebrate and kind of anticipate. They're like, man, I can't wait. This is going to be the way God is going to provide, and the work he is going to do is so good. And they're, they're just kind of celebrating this, and that's exactly what God does, but we'll keep reading. Acts chapter 2, uh, we'll start over verse 1. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. All the disciples, all the followers were together in one place. They were praying, waiting. Verse 2, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Let me just pause parenthetically and say now this is they are not talking about a prayer language they're not talking about what we typically think about when we think of tongues so just keep listening okay keep stick with me here verse five now there were staying in jerusalem because of this festival right god-fearing jews from every nation under heaven when they heard this sound a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all of those who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Now, they go ahead and list at least 15 different nations that are represented here. Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts uh, of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Verse 13, some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. <laughs> Let me just stop for a second. Now, this is the gift that, the, uh, that has been promised them, right? In, verse, in, in chapter 1, verse 4, and in verse 8, you will receive power when the holy spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses chapter two we're only 13 verses in and what's happened well power has come the power of the holy spirit has come and fallen on them and we're beginning to see what, what's going to be 
they're being witnesses, right? They're proclaiming the wonders of God, and people are hearing it in their own language. They're from all over the world, and people are hearing in their own language. I mean, this is amazing. This is like the good stuff happening here. The Holy Spirit has indeed come in power. This is the moment the church has been waiting for, the disciples have been waiting for. It's a game changer for these disciples. This is the moment where, I mean, real transformation, real power and filling of the Holy Spirit comes on them, and the disciples start to be witnesses. They're declaring the wonders of God And people from all over the world are understanding and hearing it in their own language. And you might, I mean, mean, so again, just, just for total clarity here, they're speaking languages they don't know fluently, right? Declaring the praises of God. And people are hearing it and understanding it. And you might be here and you might think, that's impossible. To which I think God would say, Exactly, right? I mean, this, that's sort of the point. Exactly. This is not something humans can do. This is something only God can do. And in fact, it, it, it's so awe-inspiring that it makes people start questioning and wondering, like, how can I explain this? What is going on? The best theory they could come up with is they must be drunk. Now, I have to say, <laughs> I, I don't know if you've ever been around people who have been drunk before. But I've never, I mean, I've seen drunk people do all kinds of things, right? I've seen them do all kinds of mostly stupid things, right? Kind of th- never once have I seen them start speaking fluently in a language they can't speak. Have you? Have you ever seen that? Most of the time when I'm around people that have had too much to drink, they can't even speak their own language, right? I mean, like, this is, this is crazy talk. This is, that's the best, I mean, this is their best explanation at that which is humanly unexplainable. They're like, oh, they must be drunk, right, kind of thing. Instead of, instead of what we're going to see is instead of understanding the truth of only God could do this. That is the only rational, only only God, right? This is beyond what we could do. Why? Because power has been given from on high, and it's filled the followers of Jesus. And now they are being witnesses. They are doing what Jesus did and saying what Jesus said. And we'll see more of that as we keep going. They've been clothed with power from on high. Let's keep going. Verse 14 says this, then Peter stood up with the eleven. He raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all, who are, all of you who are living in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say, verse 15. These people are not drunk, duh, right, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Now listen to this. He takes an Old Testament prophecy and he applies it to what's happening in their midst. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Now, this last part is typically referred to as apocalyptic, like pointing towards the end, the end of time, right? But blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of our Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. You've seen it with your own eyes. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. 
And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him, which I love. By the way, we're going to jump ahead to verse 32. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all, what's the word, by the way? We are all witnesses of it. We have seen it with our own eyes. We have, we have experienced him for ourselves. We can tell you of what we have seen and known. He's alive, right? Verse 33, exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and he has poured it out on what you now see and hear. Verse 36, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, <laughs> ooh, both Lord and Messiah and Savior. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Older versions say, what must we do to be saved? Verse 38, Peter responds, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you, and it's for your children, Listen to this. And it's for all those who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Boom. Mic drop, right? I want you to, uh, let me start out again with a, with a view of 10,000 feet. Do you see what's happened? Acts chapter 2. What's happened? You'll receive power when my spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. It's what we see throughout the entire book of Acts, but it, it starts out in all of its glory, right? In Acts chapter 2, we see fire fall from heaven, right? Tongues of fire, above, people proclaiming the goodness of God in other languages, and the gospel, the good news about Jesus' life, his death on the cross for our sins, and more importantly, his resurrection from the dead is proclaimed to all. He says, man, what, what must we do to be saved? The people say they're cut to the heart. They're convicted. And his response is two things, right? He says, first, repent, which we've talked about this a gazillion times. It's to do a 180. We're heading in this direction. Repent. Turn back to God, right? Turn back to God. Repent from your sins. Turn away from your sins and turn back to God. And it says, be baptized, which is, again, baptism, we've talked about tons of times. Nothing magical about baptism, but it's, it's, a, it's a picture of what happens having our sins washed away because of Christ, right? Because of his life, his death, his resurrection. So that's what he's saying. He's saying, repent, repent from your sins, turn back to God, and, and receive Christ as Savior, and have your sins washed away. And the promise is, and you will receive the promised Holy Spirit. So he's saying, you know, this whole, this whole, you'll, you'll receive power when the Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses. He's saying, that's not just for us. It's not just for the 12. It's not just for the 120, right? It's not just for super apostles or super Christians or disciples or whatever. It's not just for pastors. Not, he's saying, no, it's for all of us. All of us. You, this promise is for you. It's for your children. He says, it's for all those who are far off. By the way, who's, that, who's he talking about in that? Everybody. Who else? 
us, right? I mean, it's those who would, who would one day come to know Christ through them. It's, it's been passed down, right? As, as, as they shared with, with their world and they came to Christ and they shared with their kids and their world. I mean, it's just, it's been passed down through the ages. He's talking about us and all, all those throughout history, right? Uh, who, who have had the opportunity to hear and respond to Christ. He's like, this promise is for you. You can repent. You can turn back to Christ and have your sins forgiven and you will be filled with power from on high and you will be my witnesses and there's power that's available to you you will receive power when the spirit comes on you and this this whole receiving power a couple interesting things uh, i'll get at because pentecost obviously pentecost is unique it's a pretty significant event but actually pentecost is one of three there's like three primary pentecostal moments that we see throughout the book of acts and even and so we see again we see it again and again and again we see a, a special working and moving of the Holy Spirit and people responding by being witnesses. And we see it a second time and we'll see it a third time as we go throughout this. But even the word, when, when we're talking about you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit, the word is filled and continually being filled with the Spirit. It's not just a one and done. It's not just a, oh, I was filled with the Spirit and now I'm good, right? I mean, it's, it's not like that. It's a, it's, a, it's a heart that's continually being filled up by God. Jesus, uh, Jesus paints a picture, right? And he says, man, it's, it's like streams of living water that flow up, that well up from within you. He's describing the Holy Spirit. And he's like, but it, but it's a, it keeps welling up and keeps welling up and keeps welling up. And, and it, we need that continually. Why? Because we leak, right? Because we need it continually to be filled. Continue to, to receive his grace and be filled with his spirit again and again and again. Man, I wonder, I got one more section, but I'll, I'll just ask this first. I wonder um, if you and I are experiencing the fullness of the Spirit that, that way these days. I wonder if we're, we're seeing God uh, fill us and send us out on mission, or if in reality we're living like this. If we're just, if we're just barely scratching the surface, if we're mostly just living life on our own, barely tapping in to the dynamic power that he has in store for you and for me dynamis physical emotional spiritual intellectual filling of the holy spirit power from on high so that we can be his witnesses well, we read to the end of the story and it says man three thousand people came to christ that day three thousand people were baptized and joined the church that day. They, they ended up, in fact, staying in Jerusalem. The, these were people from all over the known world, right? They'd come for the celebration of Pentecost, right? The, the, the population of Jerusalem had like probably at least tripled, maybe more, quadrupled or more. It's blown up. And what ends up happening is so many of those that ended up staying because of the amazing work that God was doing in that day. So they end up staying in Jerusalem. They end up meeting together. Many of them end up staying in, in the homes of other disciples or other Christ followers. They're eating meals together. They're worshiping together. And they experience an unbelievable community filled with the Holy Spirit as they live out the mission of Jesus together. We get a picture of it in the last few verses of Acts chapter 2. It's one that we've talked about many times, but let me just share it one more time. It says they, 
these early, uh, early Christ followers, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were performed by the apostles. All the believers were together, and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions and gave to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. By the way, again, scholars estimate this era is three to five years where they stayed in Jerusalem. And the Lord added to their number every single day. You know what that means? People were finding Christ, right? I mean, people were finding Christ and being filled with the Spirit and sent out on a mission every single day for a three to five year period. What started as a movement of 12 disciples with Jesus grew to about 120 uh, followers by the time Jesus died and rose again, became 10,000 within a couple of years. And literally by the end of the decade was more than 100,000 just Jews, not to mention all those that had been spread throughout the region. It was so impactful that within three centuries, two to three centuries, it literally consumed and transformed the known world of that day dynamous power. You will receive power when the Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. The book of Acts tells the story. It paints the picture of how we are to live as the church of Jesus Christ, filled by and led by, directed by, empowered by the Holy Spirit in living out His mission together. They changed the world. We, too, are called to to change, to have impact on the world around us. I was thinking this week and thinking, this is such a hard, I was just wrestling this week because I think it's so hard for us to believe this stuff. I mean, we're like, oh yeah, there's power, Uh uh-huh. Like, really what we believe in is medicine, or really what we believe in is this, or really, I mean, all all this other kind of stuff. And again, I'm not throwing stones at any of that kind of stuff. It's got a great place. But I just, I just think it's so hard for us in North America to do this because we have this rationalistic worldview. We have to, it has to be explainable. We have to be able to see and taste and touch. And so much of this feels very ethereal. It feels like very out there. And yet I, I, I just find myself thinking, man, if only we could get a glimpse of this, there's power way beyond what we can, what we can even possibly imagine. There's only two places in the world, uh, where the gospel is moving backwards rather than forward. You want to guess what one of them is? North America. <laughs> North America and Japan, despite what you might think. A lot of times we think Europe, which also has been, has been pretty dark, and yet there are pockets of the church that are actually starting to thrive again, and I'll talk about that in a second. But man, especially, I mean, the Northern Hemisphere, we've gotten a, ve- we're, we've gotten a very secular sort of worldview, right? A very rationalistic sort of worldview that makes us question and just be like, I don't know. I mean, I'm not so sure about all this power stuff. I believe in what I can do, right? I believe in my power and my ability and all this kind of stuff, and I, I get it. Uh, you know, I'm a former recovering whatever as well. But I just was thinking about, man, the stats in the southern hemisphere are unbelievable. You start reading about what God is doing in the church in the southern hemisphere, it's jaw-dropping. In Africa, for instance, in 1900, there were only about, uh, let me see, uh, what is it, 8.7 million Christ followers, about 9% of the population. By the year 
2000, that had grown to 360 million or 45%. The estimates, the best, the latest estimates are that by 2025, there will be 633 million Christ followers on the continent. Isn't that incredible? God's doing unbelievable things. And it's not just the church growing. People are finding Jesus. Their lives are being transformed. They're experiencing the power of the Spirit in ways that would leave us with our jaws on the ground. In fact, by, the, by, by 2025, if, if those estimates are, are correct, if they stay on course for the next five years, it'll be the second largest Christian continent on earth, second only to South America. They went from 9% of the population to an overwhelming majority in a little over 100 years. It's amazing. It's jaw-dropping. It's what the Spirit does. And you want to know what? It's not just them just experiencing the Holy Spirit from themselves and be like, oh, let's just all stay here together and do this little thing. No, they're being sent out on mission in powerful ways. In fact, the largest three churches in Europe these days, you want to guess who they're led by? They were started and led by African pastors, Nigerian, I believe all three of them are. And so the church is flourishing. They're, they're experiencing the power of the Spirit, and they're being sent out to be witnesses to the world. They're sending missionaries here and the rest of the world. You'll receive power when the Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. What if there's more to this God stuff? What if there's more to this Holy Spirit stuff than just coming to church and doing the thing and, and believing a few things, which, again, we believe belief is a, an important thing, <laughs> so, so I'm not throwing stones. But what if there's more than just coming on Sunday and doing the thing? What if there's more than just giving intellectual assent to Jesus? Or, yes, I believe in the Holy Spirit. What if he's inviting you into something more? What if he's inviting us to actually be the church once again, to step up, to open ourselves up, to the person of the Holy Spirit, the one that Jesus thought was so significant, so important. He said to his disciples, he said, you know what? It's better for you if I go. It's, it's better for you if I go away because if I go to the Father, I will send the Spirit to be with you. And he says, that's better than having Jesus Christ with you in person. Can you believe this? You know what Jesus believed about the Holy Spirit? He believed there's power. There's dynamis. There's unbelievable power in the presence and the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Well, friends, if you are here uh, this morning and, and if you are curious, we'll start there. If you are hungry, if you find yourself questioning and wondering, is there more to God? Is there more to this relationship with Him than what I am currently experiencing? If you find yourself wondering and even asking questions like, is this what my experience with God is like, right? Or is there more? Then I got a challenge for you. You ready for this? So here's what, I, here's what I'm wondering. We're going to take seven weeks and we are going to do kind of a whirlwind trip throughout the book of Acts. And I'm going to ask you to do four things with me if you're willing. If you're willing. I'm going to ask first and foremost, uh, I'm going to ask, uh, would you be willing to open up God's book and to read through the book of Acts with us? As we go, there are 28 chapters. Uh, this is week one, so, uh, and I already kind of started this out, but would you be willing to read five chapters a week? That'll get you through in plenty of time. That's, would you read one chapter a day during the work week? Take you five minutes. 
and here's the thing. I don't want you to read it academically. I don't want you to read it like, like a textbook or whatever else. But would you be willing to read it in, in, with this kind of posture, right? With this kind of posture before God. You don't have to actually do it. Sometimes I do actually do it. So it's, it can be helpful. But just saying, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me in the pages of this book? What do you, what do you want me to know? What do you want me to do? How am I to live as a result of your word? Friends, one of the first and primary ways that we learn to hear and recognize the working and the voice of the Holy Spirit is through the pages of his book, and Acts is a perfect place to start. Would you be willing to read a chapter a day during the work week, five chapters a week, and go along this with us, opening up your heart, surrendering yourself before God and saying, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? And then do it. Number two. Would you be willing to pray, right? Uh, is, is a second. Would you be willing to pray and just pray, start praying prayers on a daily basis, just saying, Holy Spirit, would you come and fill me today? Would you keep me in step with your spirit? Would you open my ears to hear from you? Lord, I surrender myself to you. Come and live your life in me and through me today. I was thinking in, in volume one of the Luke Acts thing, I uh, was thinking about uh, what Jesus says. He says, when he's teaching, he's talking about prayer and, and that kind of stuff with his followers. He says, ask and keep on asking is the way that it's, it's, it literally means. Ask and keep on asking, right? Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and keep on seeking, right? And then he says, knock and keep on knocking. And then he goes and he tells a story. He says, which of you fathers, if your son, you know, want, needs bread, would give him a scorpion, whatever else. I mean, like he kind of says, no, no, no. He's, and then he says this. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven, what does that say? Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Now, again, from a theological hat kind of standpoint, we believe and we know that when we put our faith and trust in Christ, right, we receive the Holy Spirit. And yet, Jesus says, if you knock and keep on knocking if you seek and keep on seeking if you knock and or if you ask and keep on asking he says i will give you the holy spirit again and again and again and again i will keep filling you what if we as a church started saying holy spirit would you fill me would you come and fill me god with your spirit would you come and lead me and direct me i am yours and just create some space <laughs> for the Holy Spirit to speak and to move and to minister in our lives. What if we started out our days that way for the next seven weeks? Imagine what God could do. Third, third thing is just, we just start praying and looking for, right? Just start looking for opportunities where you can be a witness because those two are married. Perhaps we're only experiencing this much of the Holy Spirit because we're not actually willing to be a witness, right? Those things often go hand in hand. So, I mean, how much faith does it take to keep our faith to ourselves and not tell anybody? Sometimes God asks us and invites us to take steps of faith and, and to step out and to minister and to pray and to serve and to give and to whatever else. And when we step out, even sometimes with fear and trembling, God meets us there with power. Would you be willing to start looking through those lenses and saying, God, what opportunities do you have? For, how can I say a word for you? And here's the thing, right? It, it doesn't have to be like up on a soapbox, you know, wearing a sandwich sign that says you're going to hell. <laughs> like that kind of, this is not what we're talking about. But a witness is somebody that just testifies, that tells others about what they've seen and heard and experienced. 
right? Would you be willing to be a witness for Jesus in these days? Would you be willing to step up? If you see somebody that's in need, would you be willing to, to stoop down and serve? If you see somebody uh, that needs prayer, would you be willing to put a hand on their shoulder and pray for them? Say, hey, would it be all right, if I, all right if I pray for you right now? If, if, if you find somebody that's asking questions, would you help point them back home to a God that loves them, a God that thinks they're worth dying for, a Savior that died so they could come home? Would you let them know? And, and for, for many of us, you might say, well, I don't know if I feel qualified, if I feel comfortable, if I feel whatever. Can I just remind us, can we go back and just say, who is it that lives in you again? The Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, the promise is that when the Holy Spirit comes on us, what kind of power do we, are, are we given? Dynamous power. Is this a little tiny bit of power? Think huge. Do you think, is the Holy Spirit unable to equip you and empower you to what he has called you to do? Do you think he could give you the words that you need to help point somebody home to Jesus? Do you think he could provide for you if he says, you know what, I'm, I need you to trust me. I want you to take, your, take this amount of money. Maybe it's all your money you have on you or whatever. I want you to give. Is he able to provide for you even if he's calling you to, to give stuff away? Of course he is. He is, is a strong arm of the Lord too short or too weak to do what he, he intends it to do? Of course not. We're going to see this throughout. Oh, man. You should buckle in because throughout the book of Acts, we're going to see all kinds of this kind of stuff, right? I mean, the Holy Spirit can do amazing, does do amazing things in our midst as we follow him. Would you be willing to pray and look for opportunities to be witnesses to Jesus, to the Spirit, to, to work? And the fourth one is this, just kind of be on the lookout. And this, I just would encourage you just to be maybe journaling, to be keeping track of in what ways are you sensing the Holy Spirit's work in your life? What's he calling you to do? Sometimes we just don't recognize it because we're just so stinking busy all the time, right? We're just going and going. We never stop to reflect. Would you be willing to slow down, step back, and just say, Holy Spirit, what, what are you saying to me? What, do, what are you doing in me? Where, where have I seen you at work this week? And maybe jot it down. If, if you're recognizing some things, especially as we start kind of trying to focus our eyes there a little bit more, I would love to hear them. I'd love to hear stories as we start praying, as we start reading through the book of Acts, as we start uh, inviting the Holy Spirit to come and fill us, as we start looking for ways to go out and to live on mission, I would love to hear stories of how you're encountering the Holy Spirit. Friends, I think God has great stuff in store for us if you'll take the journey. Amen? If you're, if you're willing, comfortable, why don't you stand up with me? Um, just posture, I think, matters sometimes. If you're willing, I'd, I'd encourage you just to open up your hands like this. Stand up with me just as a way to say, Holy Spirit, I just invite you in. I just want to be filled by you. I want to be led by you. I want to I, I live my life with you. I want to grow with you. Let's, let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we just do come and we ask for your filling. I pray uh, just ways that we have made you too small, ways that we have ignored you or uh, diminished the power that you have in our minds. Lord, we throw all that down. We say, would you forgive us? Lord, as we cling to and look to Jesus, would you come and fill us with your spirit? Would you restore us? Would you send us out on mission to live as your witnesses? I pray, God, that in this next era, you would open our ears, our eyes to hear you and to see you more, that you give us boldness and courage to follow where you lead. I pray that uh, 
you would indeed fill us with your power and use us for your plans, for your purposes, for your glory. May your kingdom come and your will be done here in us as we pray as it is in heaven. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, friends, look forward to what God's going to do. We've got one.